handmade miniature wooden sailing vessels on the web at flamingfish.net. Little ships for big kids. Support for Boat Talk also comes from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. This is Free Speech Radio News. Free Speech Radio News is the only daily half-hour progressive radio newscast in the U.S. It's owned and managed by news reporters. Free Speech Radio News is an independent broadcast news organization with over 200 journalists who report from 40 states within the U.S. and 57 countries from around the world. You can hear Free Speech Radio News weekday afternoons at 4.30 p.m. right after Jim Hightower commentaries, only on Community Radio WERU-FM. Support for WERU comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine and show, August 9th through the 11th in Rockland. Art, architecture, furniture, food, live music, and boats, boats, and more boats on the web at maineboats.com. It's 9.59 and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning, good morning. It's the uh, second Tuesday of the month, and that's Schooner Fair right there in the background, piping in boat talk for another month here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill. I'm Alan Sprague, one of the rusty anchors of Boat Talk, sailing single-handed today on Boat Talk. It's a call-in show for people contemplating things naval. If you'd like to make a call, you're certainly welcome to, too. It's a good time to, to put your two cents worth into Boat Talk. We're going to uh, be going in several different directions. I'm going to start right off today with telling you about the news I've received from our friend Greg Roscoe, who's made a movie about the the sailing vessel Raw Faith, which has been a, a topic of boat, uh, subject of boat talk discussion several times. Anyway, the Raw Faith movie is going to be coming out, making its debut at the Maine International Film Festival with two showings. The first one is going to happen on Friday July 19th at 3.30 at the Waterville Opera House. And then again Saturday at the Opera House, Saturday the 20th at 9.30 in the evening. Here's a little brief description of the movie if you're unfamiliar with Raw Faith. it's The description of the movie is at the intersection of personal passion, commitment, and obligation. Raw Faith explores one family's journey with an 88-foot galleon and a mission that tests them as individuals and collectively as a family. It's a saga told through the lens of a man, a mission, and a boat. It's uh, quite a story. If you get a chance to see Raw Faith in Waterville, that would be great. It's also going to be making uh, some showings 
along the coast here a little bit later on. Uh, let's see, it's on Friday. So that's going to happen at in um, Waterville again. There's going to be showing at the Strand and uh, a couple other places too. But if you go to Raw Faith the Movie, Raw Faith Movie, just Google that. You'll get all kinds of good information on where that movie is going to be showing. And if you'd like to make a request to have it come to your area, you can also contact them then too. And uh, they will... Uh, Try to get the movie into your area. It also is going to be available on DVD in, in August. Also happening this weekend, coming up this weekend on Friday, a real great site if you happen to be in the Rockland area. They're going to be uh, the Windjammer Parade coming into Rockland on Friday afternoon. They're going to be leaving from Islesboro and heading that way during the Friday day. It'll probably arrive around the breakwater in Rockland somewhere between 2 and 4 in the afternoon. So if you get a chance to go down to the breakwater Friday afternoon, bring your camera. It's going to be a real pretty sight, all those big boats coming in with all that great laundry hanging out there. If you'd like some more information, there is a contact number for the uh, Rockland Windjammers, 374-2993. That's 374-2993 for the Rockland Windjammer Parade happening Friday afternoon. Going to go to um, Mike Joyce in just a little bit. Like I said, I'm sailing single-handed, but Mike is out sailing for real. He uh, is delivering a boat entitled or named the Lewis H. Story. It's a, a Chewbacca boat, and if you're unfamiliar with Chewbacca boats, they were made pretty much quite quickly after the Revolutionary War here in New England. During the Revolutionary War, a lot of the... Uh, the sailing vessels that were American were destroyed by the British so that uh, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, boats available for people to go fishing after the war. So they started making their own. The Chewbacca boats were fairly uh, easily made boat ranging from size to about oh, 30 feet to maybe 45 feet long. Um, more or less a double-ended boat, twin masts, and... Um, uh, usually has what they call a pinked end, uh, sort of where the the garboard or the the bulwarks on top of the boat, top shear shear streak goes all the way back and comes back together at the back end too. Very distinctive sight. If you'd like to see a picture of it, we have a picture at the boattalk.org website, and there's also a picture at the uh, Boat Talk Facebook page. Anyway, Mike is going to be sailing helping to sail the Lewis H. Story back from Essex, Massachusetts to Mount Desert Island, Maine. It's going to be part of the Mount Desert Island Historical Society. Um, uh, well, I guess they're going to call it a, a, a story, pardon the fun, the, the name of the boat, but it's the story of the uh, first settlers of Mount Desert Island who came on board a Chewbacca boat, a man named Abraham Soames with his wife and four daughters sailed from Gloucester, Mass to uh, Mount Desert Island all the way up to Soamsville in a Chewbacca boat. So they're going to be celebrating that with several events and uh, tours and free sails too. Uh, we're going to be talking with the director of the Mount Desert Island Historical Society a little bit later in the show. But first, I think we're going to have, hopefully, have Mike be calling in from 
wherever he is on the uh, Lewis H. story. The boat was built in 1998 by a man named uh, Harold, Harold Burnham. I spoke with Giffy earlier about Harold Burnham. Here, Giffy says that he is a, a very good man and uh, does a very nice, very good uh, job building boats. And turns out that Harold Burnham is um, one of, I can't remember how many, but several generations of boat builders who have been building in the same boat building shop down Essex, Massachusetts. And I can, I haven't seen any pictures, but I can imagine what a, uh, a boat shop work looks like that has had several generations of uh, boat builders in that same building. There's probably all kinds of very nice patterns and jigs hanging on the walls and uh, and just a good visual anyway for Harold Burnham, who gets a, a five-star rating from Giffy Full, so that's that's good enough for me. The Lewis Story was a common working vessel in the 18th and 19th centuries, and then according to Howard Chappelle, who is a, a maritime historian of great note, he said the American Revolution practically destroyed the colonial fishing fleet and capital was lacking to build schooner replacements. So as a result, the low-cost boats were very popular and built in large numbers, particularly at Essex, which was then part of Ipswich, Massachusetts, and they were called, or, which was called Chebacco Parish. And as a result, the two master boats became known as Chebacco Boats. Here's a list of uh, events that are going to be happening with the Lewis H. story when it arrives on um, Saturday, the no, Friday the 12th, this coming Friday. On Saturday at 1 p.m., they're going to sail up to Somesville with family reenactors aboard, arrive at the gallery in Somesville, and pose for a gathering of plein air painters. That should be interesting just to see all the nice views are going on there on Saturday. And um, if you, I forgot to mention, this is a call-in show, too, if you'd like to make any comments about uh, Chewbacca boats or anything else that you think might be uh, appropriate for a boating show, the number to call is 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378. Um, I think we do have Mike Joyce on the phone, though, who is uh, pretty far offshore and sounding pretty pretty rattly with a cell phone. Hey, Mike, how you doing? I'm sitting on the bow of the Lewis H. Story at the present time, and we're heading pretty much into the weather coming east here. And... Uh, are you getting a uh, fair enough signal here, Alan? You're getting, uh, you've got a lot of background static going on, Mike. I think you're, we'll keep well, trying. Well, that's because the engine's on and the wind's blowing. Uh-huh. I th- yeah, if you can I shelter. I can the format here a little bit. If you block the wind, might help. Yep, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm in the lee of the format. Oh, that's. There are not a lot of places to get out of the wind here, to tell you the truth. Well, is it just wind or is it raining, too? No, it's, uh, just gray out here and we're, uh. Headed, you know, down east, but the wind is coming from down east at the present time, so we're motoring with no sails up. This uh, old 1700s bald-headed schooner does not like to go too close into the wind. 
I should imagine. There's no bow sprit, right? No bow sprit whatsoever. When I'm uh, against the foremast here, there's uh, just enough room for my butt between uh, the foremast and the stem. And nothing up front here. And she's a bit of a trip. She's a beautiful boat, and apparently she's quite well-loved, too. The uh, We got quite a reception in Gloucester when we got here yesterday. We've already been interviewed by the uh, newspaper. We've been on television, and they also filmed us this morning as well. <laughs> Uh, KPN Television and the Gloucester Times, I believe. The Essex Shipbuilding Museum owns this vessel, and they use it kind of as a sailing ambassador. And let's think about about delivery in general, is I like to tease people sometimes, you know, who would you lend your boat to? And uh, it's quite something to uh, lending us this, this uh, historic vessel here, you know, this artifact vessel and uh, trusting us to run it down to Maine and everything. But, boy, what a nice, nice bunch of people. We got down here yesterday, and they uh, took us out for an afternoon sail to show us the ropes, so to speak, and then took us out for dinner last night. And we've just been having a fine time. So what time did you leave this morning? About quarter past six. And we are accompanied by another vessel, uh, Dr. Bill Horner and his Sabre 30. Happy Wanderer is our support vessel, and uh, they have a stove. They have bunks for uh, my friend Ned and uh-huh. Ned Butler and Seth Singleton. Uh, other fellows are with Andy Horner and I. I happen to be the kid on this crew. But it's just kind of a, uh, I mean, we're time tripping, man, you know? <laughs> we're on the 17, uh, mid-1700s kind of vessel here, and there are three handheld GPSs, an iPod, uh, another vessel to, uh, uh, you know, confirm our navigation, show us which way we're pointing as a support vessel and stuff, and kind of get you thinking about Abraham Soames and what he was facing. Yeah, with four daughters. Oh, there's no sign of the four calmly daughters at all, Alan, I'm sorry to say. I... I may even be the more, most calmly one on the boat. Isn't that sad? Oh, that's so. desperate. Yeah, that is desperate. But, uh, you know, Abraham Soames did not have a nylon jacket and polar fleece and rubber pants. He right. didn't have the GPSs. He didn't even have a good chart. And we're facing an open horizon here where the water just keeps coming. And you kind of put that in perspective sitting on this boat, and it's kind of... It's, it's quite a leap of faith. I also think that it was 1763. The French and Indian Wars were just getting done. So now it was safe to come down here, go down east, down to Mount Desert Island. Because before that, basically nobody dared to. Right. So how much shelter is there really for uh, getting out of the weather for your... It's a bit more than we thought, and that was the nice thing about coming down and getting our orientation sale yesterday is not only were Andy and I reassured, but the Essex people were reassured as well about lending us the boat, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, the boat is fully decked over with two footwells and two fish holds. There is a foredeck, a raised foredeck, with a little bit of, you know, two bunks under it, and... Um, uh, old uh, iron stove, and last night we snuggled up uh, under the foredeck there, and it just a pouring rain. And I'm telling you what, she rained quite a bit downstairs. That's the other thing that, again, they lived harder than we did in the 1700s. You know, 
Yeah. I mean, I had a nylon sleeping bag cover. It really didn't matter in the long run to me. But, again, very impressed with uh, the pioneers and how they struck out here. Yeah, that would be pretty tough. I can imagine those four kids, you know, after a few hours saying, uh, when are we going to go home? <laughs> yeah, and it's bad enough for daddy daddy to take mommy, but the girls, I mean, you know, they want to stay with stuff they know, I would think. Yeah. And, again, uh, this voyage when Abraham Soames brought his wife and daughters down was not his first time down to Mount Desert. He had been down there previously uh, a couple of, uh, probably uh, two summers in a row, possibly. Ah, so checking that, the place out. That explains why he sailed all the way up to Sonesville. He picked the prime spot then. Yep, and if you read the history of uh, Mount Desert by uh, Samuel Elliott Morrison, he speaks of this, and he says that uh, there was another fellow named Richardson, and Richardson and uh, Soames headed for the same place here, and both of them had showed up possibly 1761 or so, hung out with the Indians on Greenings Island at the mouth of Somme Sound. Abraham Somes was proud to have bought Greenings Island for a gallon of rum <laughs> from his Indian buddies. But then it turns out that Richardson had also bought the island for a half a gallon of rum and got a birch bark deed from the same Indians. Uh, uh. <laughs> so, and who owns it? I don't know, but the the, <laughs> rum, the rum might uh, affect their memory too. I would be afraid. Well, that's why they got the birch bark deed. You've got to uh, be social and make allies if you're going to be a settler in somebody else's world. Well, now, that's don't true. You? That's true. Yeah, we uh, have a fairly benign forecast today for light winds, even if they're coming from the east. So um, our plan is uh, still open, but there's a very good chance we're going to stay out tonight and possibly show up off of Tenants Harbor first thing in the morning. Uh-huh. You got enough to uh, fuel on board to motor through the night? We have an 18-gallon tank, and the fish hold is a three-cylinder Yanmar instead of a bunch of dirty old dead cod. Yeah. And, uh, we is... have an 18-gallon tank and three extra jugs, so we're pretty good to go. And we're probably going to try to uh, stay outside here, so to speak, until we get in the version of the city of Tenants Harbor. And then we'll probably run up the uh, Muscle Ridge and, uh, you know, past Rockland and and come inside the rest of the way up to MDI. Uh, our voyage possibly terminating in Bass Harbor. I'm told that there may be better-looking people with costumes to actually sail around the corner into Solmesville, but we will see about that. Huh. Yeah. That'll be interesting. And uh, we won't be there today and probably not tomorrow, but... Uh, you know we're coming, and and again, it's just time tripping. This this boat is a um, you've never seen anything quite like it. And if anybody's curious, you can Google. I was after time tripping. Google Lewis H. Story, and you'll get a nice picture of the boat. Right, I put a picture of it on the the Boat Talk website and the Boat Talk Facebook page too. It Thank is a nice looking boat. Say again. That it is a nice looking boat. Yes, and here's the other thing. Um, that's all about Harold Burnham, shipbuilder down here in Essex, uh, former merchant seaman and now staying home and building boats. And yesterday we were out sailing um, Lewis H. Story. We're crossing tacks with his pinky schooner Ardell, sailing some tourists. And we're also, whoops, just took some spray over the back of my head that time. <laughs> we, uh, we were also crossing tacks with his uh, more modern-looking schooner he built called the uh, uh, Thomas Lannan, I believe it is. 
and all this uh, tacking back and forth in the, inside the, um, the breakwater at the big end of the harbor there yesterday. And so uh, Harold Burnham has been the driver, basically, behind creating these vessels. And he is a character, and apparently he's quite capable and pretty unfazed by anything. They were about to lend us this boat, and just last week noticed that the top of the mainmast was all rotten. Ooh. Hauled it out, went to the store, got some uh, two-by-tens, and uh, this is uh, Monday we showed up. Uh, Saturday they put the new mast in. Wow. Yeah, and it doesn't have, uh, you know, it could use six or eight more coats of varnish for my uh, yachty taste, but it's looking solid. And here's the other thing about this um, old, it's called the Chewbacca boat. It's a, um, you know, it was a pickup truck fishing boat of the of the uh, mid-1700s. I like that. And when you get this thing uh, with the, with the uh, gaff, uh, two gaff sails, the main we leave reefed, and the fore is really the driver. And a big, heavy tiller. You can't even get your hands around that thing. The word to describe the sailing qualities of this boat would be solid. <laughs> it is just solid. Uh-huh. And, uh, again, it's it's uh, quite a sight to look at, too. So I understand. that's what we're doing today. Yeah, I understand it's uh, trunnel fastened, too. Is that right? I couldn't tell from here, but I uh, would suspect it. It's very traditionally built. And again, this fellow Harold Burnham would be very interesting to talk to. Sometimes he's a, he's, as the boat talk team go, he's the boy that builds the boat, and he's the boy that sells them. You know. Right. I spoke and with. And again, uh, very capable, very traditional here, and uh, time tripping. No other word for it. I spoke with Giffy uh, just uh, yesterday about Harold Burnham, and he gave him a, a five star rating. Said he was a fine man and did really great work. Is Giffy not with you this morning, Alan? Giffy is not, no. Unfortunately, he is busy. You know Giffy, he's busier than a lot of people half his age. And unfortunately, he's not able to make it here today. He says he's retired, but he's just too damn good. Uh, you know, he's absolutely probably the most experienced in the world at what he does, and how do you retire from that? Yeah. yeah. be the problem. And he likes doing it as well. That's true. Yeah. He's, yeah. You can see him shine. good if you can... If you can uh, not have your retirement dictate to you, but get to pick and choose a little bit, you know. I'd say he's pretty lucky, really. So are the people, whoever he's taking care of today. Yeah, right. I don't know who yeah. he's with, but he takes care of people well. So I um, spoke with Tim Garrity, who is the the executive director of the Maine uh, Mount Desert Island Historical Society, where you're headed to... Yeah, and, and he's going to be talking a little bit later uh, after you're done about the events that they're putting putting on. But I didn't realize you're going to be going to Bass Harbor first. You got any way of uh, letting people know in the area when you're going to be showing up so people can uh, come and see the oh, boat? Oh, I don't know. I could give you a call and you could put it on the Facebook or some such. And there's some again, we're t- <laughs> facebooking on a 1750s vessel here. How about that? <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking. I don't know about them kids and their Facebooks. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. about what uh, the 1750s when you were talking about sailing through the night and uh, thinking of uh, running lights and what what did they do back then? I guess they. Uh, this vessel does not have running lights, but it has some that we can uh, add on to it and hoist up. Uh, we'll get a balanced stern light tied onto her somehow, and again, stay offshore and stay out of everybody's way. Um, 
but it's uh, again, there's no galley, there's no toilet. Uh, you know, the uh, poor deck uh, a little leaky last night, and the side of the boat I was on, I'm, you know, I'm five ten, and I was in a four foot six long space. <laughs> four foot six. Hmm. Well, that's because of the stove and the four and the foremast there. But again, it gives you a. Uh, I'm telling you, Alan, they lived harder and they worked harder than we do. Yeah. And without. Again, uh, you know, the good clothes we have, not to mention the reassurance that we have with all our navigation devices, let alone the buoys and lighthouses. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. So, so like, it's quite something to try to put yourself back in that place, you know. Right. And, 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 and what sh- were they searching for? The American dream, apparently, looking for space and something to, uh, you know, build and make on your own, someplace where you could stretch out and hopefully succeed and make a fortune. Yeah. Yeah, but that's you know, imagine showing up the first day and what do you got to work with and not you know just well some, not much. Uh, not Mark Coney of Ellsworth has written a very interesting history of Hancock County called uh, King Pine Jack Tar. I get it wrong and and uh, Spruce I believe uh, pretty close to the title there, and he, he maintains that. It was a pretty desperate thing to, to be the settlers, you know, the first ones there. First thing they did, put up, uh, build a sawmill and build a barn. A barn, right. Yeah, worry about your house, your grist mill, uh, everything after. Start sawing logs and build a barn, first thing to do. Mm. And then get some food going into the ground. Right. But, as we all know, it's not a great agricultural area. You sail all this uh, way and... Uh, you know, you sail into a, uh, you know, a blueberry barren. Uh, again, not a good, great place to grow, uh, not a great agricultural, uh, strictly speaking, grow your vegetables and your wheat and everything. And right. So Maine's not known for, uh, certainly not the coast here, but let's try and imagine, too, you're setting out on a voyage of uh, settlement here. The whole country in front of you is open. What spot would you pick? <laughs> Yeah, I think different people would pick different different uh, different spots, but a pretty interesting uh, adventure there. That Abraham. especially how to pick a spot without even having a map. True, he didn't have a map, but like you said, he had been here before, so he sort of knew where he was going. And uh, well, that goes right back to uh, core sailor philosophy: when you go strange places, you seek local knowledge. So if I was going to pick a place to to uh, try to settle, I would go ask the the expert natives, the Indians. Right. And they knew the best spots. That's why they camped out on Fernal Point there at the end of Somme Sound in the summertime, you know? Yeah, but and they... were hanging out on Greening Island. They weren't there in the wintertime. No, they went they inland for the winter. Place. So, yeah, um, I don't think Somes was planning on going inland for the winter. It was a little bit of a... Uh, nope. Uh, uh, well, for uh, for the settlers, you had to maintain your your uh, connection with the ocean. That's the highway. There was no Route One, right? Not at all. And the Indians had an advantage that they had the birch bark canoes. That I love the story of um, well, Sam, Samuel Champlain, for instance, when he showed up off of Mount Desert Island. Indians come out to him in, in birch bark canoes. They're a little bit wary at first. They stay a musket shot away. They'd learned that. And some of the early explorers, they would uh, sometimes chase the Indians, and uh, let's say a dozen men in an English longboat 
can't catch four or five Indians in a birch bark canoe. Right. Can't even come close to catching them. And when the Indians hit the shore, they pick up the birch bark canoe and they run into the woods with it. <laughs> well, the-, the guys in the longboat can barely wrestle it up onto the shore. Yeah. And they were impressed by the native, uh, like I say, uh, boat technology. Very impressed. Of course, a uh, great example is David Moses Bridges. We talked to, uh, what, last winter about Birch Bar Canoe Building, right? Right, the February boat talk. Yeah, we talked about that same thing. So. So, sounds like you're having fun, Mike. And I do have Tim Garrity on the other line now, so maybe we'll, right. s- we'll switch over. Well, I'm busy making history, man. So, you know. But time tripping and get a little confused every once in a while. Try not to get dizzy and waiting to see what our sport vessel is going to provide for lunch here. So, <laughs> so sounds like an interesting story, Mike. I'm sure we'll hear more about it during the next boat talk in in August. But um, I'm tempted to write something, and if I can figure out how to get it up on our website, like I used to be able to, uh, you know, we'll see what we can do about that. That's good. We'll look forward to that. Again, uh, I would try uh, if I was interested in googling stuff. Lewis H. Story. Essex uh, Shipbuilding Museum, Harold Burnham. There's a great wooden boat article about him and building Ardell. And there's a lot of material out there on, on this stuff available. And we'll be in the area. The boat will be there for a couple weeks, I think. There's going to be receptions, cocktail parties, and and it does not take paying passengers, but we'll be taking honored guests for different sales and the time it'll be around. You should watch for it. And the uh, Southwest Harbor, Northeast Harbor, uh, Somsville area there. All right, good. I I think Tim will probably fill us up on uh, what we have to, to offer as far as events when it gets here. And like you said, you're giving you a call when uh, when you get in the area, and we'll put us uh, a note on the Boat Talk Facebook page as to when you're yep. going to be hitting land. Hey, best of luck to you, Alan. Don't get used to doing boat talk without me and Giffy now. We'd be kind of jealous, you know? <laughs> no, no, it's pretty easy. Stay dry, Mike, and we'll talk to you later. Morning, Alan. Thank you. Yep. All right, we're going to flip over to Tim Garrity, who is the executive director of the Mount Desert Historical Society, and talk with him about the Lewis H. story when they hit land. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Alan. Well, Boy, I hate to interrupt Mike. He was on such a roll, and it's so good to uh, hear from those guys uh, out at sea. The last news we had was uh, a couple of hours ago, and it's great to know they're still on their way. Oh, yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm sure that, like Mike said, he's going to go through the night, so they should be here fairly quickly. I'm looking forward to seeing the boat. Yeah, I hope to join them in uh, Tenet's Harbor and take the last uh, take the last leg along with them. It's uh-huh. all a, a voyage of discovery to... Uh, you know, some of the things that Mike was realizing, he knows his way around boats, but it's uh, uh, there's something to be learned in getting aboard one of these old vessels uh, that's, uh, been, that the Essex Shipbuilding Society has, has created for us and kept for us so that we can experience it now. That's great. Um, I don't know if you were hearing when I was talking with Mike about the uh, bringing the family along and that having a fairly... Uh, I'm sure, like Mike described, a fairly wet trip getting here and then arriving in Sonesville, and what have you got? Nothing to, to no home and no anything having to... It's kind of like the guy who was building the Great Wall of China starting on the first day. You know, he's like overwhelming task, I should think. Pretty revealing, isn't it, to, yeah. uh, to think about those girls and what their experience must have been, must have been like? And uh, 
I, I, it's a real eye-opener for us. Yep. You're going to have family reenactors aboard, I believe, on Saturday. We are. We are. We're uh, actually uh, uh, hoping to have descendants of uh, Abraham Soames and Hannah Soames to, uh, to play the parts uh, and really make that uh, connection down through the years. There's uh, many, many descendants in this area. So we're, we're still uh, working on uh, drawing up the cast uh, for that. Uh, and uh, we'll probably have to have uh, our Abraham Soames a little older than the actual Abraham. Uh, the Essex Shipbuilding Museum is you know, quite understandably uh, limited our captains to a short list of qualified people to take her, and uh. they all happen to be older than the 20-something Abraham Soames uh, was when he in, eight, in 1762. He was 20-something and with four daughters, huh? Yeah, yeah, he's a young guy, late 20s. Uh, yeah. That's pretty amazing. So the the uh, the um, reenactors are, according to my schedule here, are supposed to arrive at 1 o'clock in Soamsville? Yeah, yeah we're, we're, we've uh, made an arrangement with the gallery at Soames Sound. They have a limited number of plein, plein air painters uh, who will uh, gather to, to render the story, to take an artist's uh, uh, view of it. Mm-hmm. Give and, it a brush uh, off. So we're, we're what, say again. Is this giving it a brush off? <laughs> giving it a brush off. Yeah, they're going to uh, 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 paint it um, in the uh, well in the plain air, and uh, that also is part of our experience. One of the things we're doing this week is having artists look at the Lewis H. story, and um, one thing that artists have, I think, is uh, uh, tremendous powers of observation, and we hope to see through their eyes. Uh, a fresh look at this historical uh, historical vessel. Right. Who are so some there of will the be art- several. They'll give them different. Uh, they'll give their own interpretations of what they're seeing when they're looking at this boat. So mm-hmm. we'll have a cast of, of, of uh, family on board for them to paint. Yep. Do you um, can you name some of the artists? Well, one of one of them is Brad Betts. Uh, that's the one I know for for sure. Mm-hmm. Brad is a very very good. Uh, uh, maritime painter. You can see his work at uh, the gallery at Soames Sound. Just Google that, and uh, you can see a painting he's done of uh, Soamsville Harbor. And for this occasion, he's been working on a painting of the Lewis H. story uh, that he's going to present during the course of this week. Very good. That'll be uh, fun to watch. And you're also going to be uh, offering... Uh, excursions. Yeah, we have um, one of the things we wanted to do is to make this as educational as possible and also reach into the uh, youngest generation we can get. So we've made arrangements with local uh, summer camps and programs. We've got uh, time reserved through the week for Camp Beachcliff, MDI Community Sailing, the, uh, the Neighborhood House in Northeast Harbor, the Northeast Harbor Fleet, uh, all to invite uh, kids on board. We can. Uh, if this is not a tourist boat, so it's kind of limited, but we can take four to six passengers, depending on their agility and uh, the size, <laughs> to uh, uh, communicate to them uh, how uh, how this boat operated. We also have. Uh, uh, we'll we'll provide some interpretive uh, work. So kind of get them oriented, trying to cr- try to create the the picture that Mike just uh, created for your audience of 
what it was like to sail, maybe to uh, sort of uh, understand what those girls were were going through. They, the kids might be able to comprehend that a little better than adults can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We should actually have throw water at them, I guess, while they're... <laughs> <laughs> that, that might, uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, that flavor. might happen for them uh, uh, in, real, in real time. Uh, well, probably not in the sound. I think it'll be a, a fun, fun sale there then. Yeah, yeah. And we also are inviting people to uh, call the Historical Society. We have a limited number of sites, uh, slots available for uh, short day sales for the, uh, for the public. And uh, they can call the Historical Society or reach us through our uh, uh, webpage, mdihistory.org, or our Facebook page, Mount Desert Island Historical Society. And uh, uh, you can find the contact information there, and we'd be happy to schedule uh, members of the public for day sales. Right. It's, it's all free. We've done some fundraising around this. We've had some tremendous help from the Essex Shipbuilding Museum. And we want this to be an experience for the whole community. Cool. Two seven six nine three two three. That's your... right. Two seven six nine three two three. We can make reservations for you if you want to come, and everyone is invited to a community cookout this uh, Sunday, July fourteenth, from five to seven. We'll have uh, food available at modest prices. We'll have the Dog Mountain Bluegrass Band, and the Lewis H. Story will be at the dock, so you can stay dry and uh, and see see the boat. We'll have. Uh, a, a some tours to uh, uh, give people insights into what this boat was look like, let them take a close-up look. And I think uh, one of the things to appreciate about this boat, it's beautiful from a distance, but it is really interesting to look at it up close and to understand the craftsmanship that's gone into this recreation. The, yes. the hardware, the woodwork is just uh, amazing. Yeah, especially when you consider that um, I believe that Harold build it pretty much the same way that they were built 300 years ago um, with wooden nails and uh, hand-sawn frames and all that traditional yeah, methods. Yeah, so you, yeah. Anybody uh, tuned into social media can see some of this construction underway. As Mike said, the masts were just replaced. And uh, you can see that uh, underway through our, uh, through our Facebook page or at the Essex Shipbuilding Museum. Uh, Facebook page there. These guys uh, realized the mast needed to be replaced. They built it and installed it over the weekend. It was 94 degrees down there. And you can get a picture of the level of uh, commitment and passion these guys at Essex Shipbuilding Museum have for this boat. They were, you you see a lot of guys sweating. (laughs) No machinery, uh, no uh, engine-driven machinery. It was all human-powered and just a tremendous amount of know-how and hard work uh, goes into creating a boat like this mm-hmm. and keeping it keeping it safe. Well, that's that's kind of the way it had to happen back then too. You know, you broke apart, you were pretty much up to your own devices to to make it good again. These guys could do anything. Uh, it's really extraordinary. And you know, one of the things you notice is that life was heavy then. Their stuff was heavy. You know, Mike was talking about waterproof clothing. And whatever clothes they had were heavy. Whatever tools they had were heavy. Right. All of that stuff required a, a lot of lifting. And I, I think they must have been uh, hardened and strong by <laughs> uh, compared to our standards. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. You're right. 
Um, the cookout is happening on Sunday at, at Dice Arts, Great Harbor Marina in Southwest Harbor. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. And at, uh, from five to five to seven, everyone is welcome to come and enjoy the uh, enjoy the evening out and the and the boat. And we really appreciate the generosity of Dice Arts to make this these mooring spaces available to us. That's that's very nice of them. It's a it's a great spot there in Southwest Harbor. Yeah. And. Also, Thursday the 18th, you're going to be having a, uh, a get-together at Great Harbor Maritime Museum, our friend Sydney Yeah, at Great Harbor Maritime Museum. We've, uh, we have a lot of community partners involved in this, and we've done a lot of work collaboratively with the Great Harbor Maritime Museum in Northeast Harbor. They have a wonderful program and collection of uh, maritime artifacts. Uh, they do wonderful design work, a real good eye for the uh, the beauty of this maritime world. And uh, they've got a, uh, a museum at the old firehouse on Main Street in Northeast Harbor. Uh, their event on Thursday, uh, you can call their number, which is 276-5262, Great Harbor Maritime Museum, 276-5262, to, uh, for more information or to sign up for their event. That's Thursday the 18th. Right. Oh, very good, Tim. I think uh, you've got a, a real uh, fun event happening, going to be happening here. I, I think so. And, Alan, if there's a minute, I, I just wanted to comment on what uh, Mike uh, had to say about this location in Soames Harbor. Do we have time for that? Sure. Uh, we uh, The spot was really carefully selected uh, in advance. I think that Abraham Soames and James Richardson really had a good idea of what it took to be successful. They were a generation that had run out of room in Massachusetts, and the borderlands of down east Maine was a no-man's land for 150 years. And around 1760, it represented an eastern frontier. And the, uh, I think the Chewbacca boat was kind of like the Conestoga wagon of the eastern frontier. And they went there and uh, selected a place that was five miles up the deep protected harbor of Somme Sound, where a ship of any depth can pull up very close to the shore. It's a glacier-carved, fjord-like body of water. Uh, where your ship draft can be deep as you like. And uh, it was surrounded by this tremendously valuable forest of, uh, of oak. And uh, also a place at the head of the sound where four streams ran into the sound, and all of those were like the uh, electrical outlet. They were the, right. the source of uh, power. Uh, one of the streams, Soam Stream, at one point uh, was the uh, power source for seven mills different kinds of uh, mills, and they were all lined up along the way. So that for Abraham's uh, generation and the generations to follow, the Soames family was uh, extremely well off and uh, owning uh, uh, thousands of acres along the shore, valuable lands for forest and farm and factories. Uh, He did quite well in uh, selecting this spot so that until... after the Civil War, when uh, tourists began to value the rough uh, landscape of the eastern side of the island, Soamsville was the center of commerce for Mount Desert Island. Now it's a sleepy little town, but uh, in the 19th century, uh, this choice of location meant that it had everything it needed to thrive as a uh, seaside community in uh, the 19th century. That's very interesting, Tim. And thank you for... Uh 
telling us all about what you're going to be going on there. I guess we probably should give your, your website and contact number one more time for people who want to check you out. You can uh, see our website at mdihistory.org and uh, find us on Facebook at Mount Desert Island Historical Society and call us on the phone at 207-276-9323. Very good. Thank you, Tim Garrity. Thanks, Alan. Good to talk to you. All right. Very good. It's uh, Tim Garrity, Mount Desert Island Historical Society, talking about the events that are going to be coming up uh, on the boat that Mike is on right now, delivering this way, uh, heading from Gloucester to, uh, I guess, Tennant's Harbor first to pick up some passengers and then into Somme Sound. If you'd like to make a comment to Boat Talk, here's your number, one 9378 is the number to Boat Talk here on Community Radio WERU. Gonna, I think, switch gears now and go over to an entirely different subject, sort of an in-depth report, we'll call it, about um, Slocum gliders. They were mentioned briefly um, on Boat Talk last month. We're going to listen to a recording I made with a, a fellow down at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute where they use Slocum gliders to locate whales to try to keep them um, well not keep them out of the way but notify shipping where the whales are so that there'll be less ship strikes sounds like a good idea to me here is the uh, recording on slocum gliders so the gliders uh, work by using what's called a buoyancy pump and the buoyancy pump is a very simple device that simply pulls seawater in and spits seawater out so when the glider is at the surface to, uh, to dive, all it has to do is pull a little bit of seawater in until it gets heavy. It's like you, if you stand on a scale and drink a glass of water, you'll see that your, your weight, your body weight gets, gets heavier. That's what happens to the glider. It gets heavier than the surrounding seawater, and so it'll start to sink, and that's how it dives. When it gets to the bottom of its dive, all it has to do is spit some of that seawater out, and then it will float back up to the surface. This vehicle provides a great opportunity to go out to have something out at sea for long periods of time. They can stay at sea for weeks, and in some cases months, um, whereas we on ships can't stay out uh, that long. Uh, and it's very expensive for us to go out on ships. So this is a nice platform to look for whales, um, but, but how, do, how do we go about doing that? We built an instrument here at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution that is um, what's called a passive acoustic recorder. It's just a, a microphone that works underwater um, hooked up to a computer. And the computer listens to, uh, to the sound coming from the microphone. And it, it's listening specifically for particular calls of a bunch of different whales. It's the North Atlantic right whale, humpback whales, fin whales, and um, say whales right now. But this system can be expanded to include other whales. When the glider when this instrument on the glider hears whales, it makes a note of that. And every time it comes to the surface, or every every time, every two hours it comes to the surface, and it sends all that detection data home. And then we have a, a web server where we post all of that data. And so we can look through that data and figure out exactly when the glider was hearing, in, in this particular case, North Atlantic right whales, and we can see where the glider was. Basically, and it, it's a robot that goes out and does, does the searching for us. And we used that information recently to find North Atlantic right whales in an area off the coast of Maine called the Outer Fall, which is about uh, 
It's about 60 miles south of uh, Bar Harbor. And uh, we were looking particularly in the late fall and early winter, which is a time, uh, which is kind of a nasty time to go to sea. It's usually quite, quite rough. And so, as I say, ships are not as useful during that period of time. But these robots don't care about the weather at all. They're listening 24-7, and they are uh, pretty much impervious to the weather. We actually had two gliders out for three weeks, and they were hearing North Atlantic right whales. And then we took a ship to the area to rendezvous with the gliders. We actually found nine North Atlantic right whales in that area, and we notified the government and National Marine Fisheries Service put in a notice to mariners for that area so that if if ships were going through that area, they would uh, either slow down um, or, or avoid the area altogether. Um, so what we, what we would like to do, what we're planning to do, is to expand the coverage. We'd like to do uh, surveys throughout the Gulf of Maine throughout the year. That will comprise a system that's more efficient uh, than the existing uh, searching by, by uh, airplanes. It'll be more cost-effective because it's less people time, people are expensive, and hopefully it'll be more effective, it'll just be more accurate, it'll help the plane get on to, to whales, uh, help them find whales a lot sooner than they're, than they're doing now. We communicate with the gliders via um, satellite um, communications, and the, and the communication is two-way. So, the, so when the glider comes to the surface, it sends us information, um, it tells us where it is, so it has a GPS on board, and it, it can get its position, and it sends that information. Of course, it sends all the whale detection data to us. It sends other information, uh, like the temperature of the water, how salty the water is, and then there's information about how the vehicle is doing. Um, but we use that information to, to, to track where the, where the glider is, and when we decide that we want it to go someplace else, we use those same communication um, uh, sessions so when the, when the glider's done sending us data, we can send data to the glider. And what we'll do is send uh, waypoints. We'll send, we'll send positions to the glider, and we'll say, well, you're at point A. We want you to go to point B. And once you get to point B, we'd like you to go to point C. And so it figures out how to navigate between point A and point B so that all we have to do is just give it those waypoints, and it, and it does, the, does the navigating itself. It can only change its uh, its orientation when it's actively diving or or coming to the surface when it has forward motion. When it has forward motion, it can change uh, the the pitch of the vehicle. Um, so the batteries are actually on a track, that, and there's a little motor inside that can move the batteries forward or aft. And so if it wants to dive, it can move those batteries forward and pitch down. It can when it wants to come to the surface, it can pull the the batteries. Um, back and it will the nose will go up the batteries can go left and right so you can get roll and then there's a rudder on the back um, and so as this as the vehicle is diving it can change its orientation in the water so by using the rudder and by using the the uh, by tilting the the batteries it can sort of turn the way almost well almost exactly the way a plane would turn um, but that's the way it can it can change direction in the water it occurred to me that besides locating whales, these gliders would make a much more stealthy and less harmful way for the Navy to track submarines compared to sonar, and commercial fisheries could use them to locate schools of fish or shrimp, which make distinctive sounds. The military is actually 
um, funded a lot of our research. It's not for their own anti-submarine warfare purposes. We've never seen, been asked or seen this type technology applied to that. I think the Navy, in a, in a, for their for their work um, that's classified, is probably light years ahead of where where we are for marine mammal detection. Um, but the but the military has uh, the Navy specifically has funded a lot of our research because they also have issues with putting sound in the water for their own anti-submarine uh, warfare uh, yeah. training and uh, ship strikes. Um, they they operate a lot of ships and they go fast and so those two those two things are problems there there are areas where the navy would like to to mitigate their impacts on marine mammals and so there's been a lot of effort uh, on the part of the navy to try to develop technologies that'll help them reduce their impact on on marine mammals mm-hmm. for fishing if we build detectors for those kinds of sounds, that is that is a possible application. We've, we certainly have uh, collaborators that are that are uh, using passive acoustics for uh, locating fish and for characterizing areas where fish are spawning, for instance. Woods Hole has a website with all the data they collected from the two gliders last fall. It's at a website uh, called dcs.whoi.edu. And that's, um, as I say, a website. It'll explain what our project was all about, and then you'll get to actually look at the data, which, is, which can be kind of fun. Hmm. It's uh, what happens with uh, Slocum gliders. They're pretty interesting little, uh, I guess you have to call them a boat. They do go through the water. Uh, it looks kind of, to me, like a uh, cruise missile. If you uh, want to Google Slocum gliders, there's all sorts of information up on that. And I was surprised to learn that this underwater technology has been going on for quite a while. I've just got a, a notification from the 18th International Symposium on un- Unmanned, Untethered, Submersible Technology. That's what they call the general category of these gliders come into. It, this uh, symposium is going to be happening down in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And it sounds pretty interesting, except for the fact that it's a... Uh, the ticket to get into it is three figures, so I guess we'll have to pass that one up. Anyway, Slocum gliders, pretty uh, interesting subject. I think we'll probably be talking with them again. It seems like, a, as I said in the uh, in the interview, a, a good way to get around the, uh, the issue that a lot of people are having with lo- low-frequency radar sonar and uh, its detrimental effects on marine mammals tracking them passively like so, uh, Slocum gliders do seems like a much more humane way to go at that. I have uh, also information on, let's see what else here, The uh, another boat, the presidential boat that's uh, going to be touring, coming only as far as Boston, the uh, boat named the Honey Fitz was built in 1938 as a very nice wooden uh, power boat that was uh, owned or well, had the use of anyway f- uh, five presidents and the honey fits is a restored it was during world war ii commandeered and used by the navy as a uh, mine sweeper because being a wooden boat it didn't attract the the metal detecting mines but it uh, sort of suffered from uh, lack of maintenance and when it was restored 
came in for restoration two years ago, uh, it had a 15 degree twist to it. So they've they've fixed that up. And we have uh, one final phone call here on Boat Talk before we wrap things up. We'll go quickly to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, Alan. This is Gray. Hi, Gray. From Hancock. Um, great show. I was particularly interested to hear Mike. And I got um, I got a comment that I hope will lead, or a question that I hope will lead to uh, a segment on a future Boat Talk show, which is the comment about um, protective gear, clothing in particular, that uh, Mike was saying. Well, they didn't have nylon pullovers and all the stuff that we got now, the technology. Um but I'd be interested to know what they did have. I mean, I know about boiled mittens, uh, which actually are very warm. I mean, they're as good as fabulous new material, except they're, as Mike said, they're bulky and heavy. And I'd be interested to know what other stuff they had to protect themselves when they were out on the frigid ocean in the right. winter and stuff, you know, on the Grand Banks and things like that. Anyway, a great show, and I just hope you can uh, maybe... Uh, Fill me in on that stuff at a later show. Okay, we'll try to do that. Thanks for the advice. And I, Bye. I think the, uh, the traditional stuff would probably be a good source to go to uh, talk to the, some of the Inuits and the Native Americans in the, in the North Country who were, who were out on the water and uh, used what they had available. And I think that, do we have another phone call? No, okay, we're really getting close to the end of Boat Talk. I'll tell you about a couple of quick things happening in the area before we sign off. The uh, lobster boat races are coming up on this weekend. They're going to be down in Searsport, off the Searsport town dock, starting at 10 a.m. That's Saturday the 13th for the lobster boat races. And, um, oh, I already talked about the uh, cookout happening on Sunday uh, the 14th at um, Dice Arts Great Harbor Marina in Southwest Harbor with the Chewbacca boat and Mike. So that'll pretty much bring up to an end the uh, Boat Talk for this week. Thanks to all the people who have been supporting Community Radio. And if you'd like to check out more stuff on the Boat Talk, we do have a a website that is boattalk.org. If you'd like to uh, make a comment to Boat Talk or make a suggestion like Gray did, there is a Contact Us section in there too. So you can go right to boattalk.org if you'd like to make a contact. So this is Alan Sprague making room for Rich Hillsinger coming up next here with On the Wing here at Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. Thanks for supporting Community Radio, and happy sales. I used to buy the sail, sir. I used to buy the catch the fish and take some home to lie, sir.